two days ago, we had December 7th, which marked Pearl Harbor. George Bush, as a young naval officer, decided to give something back to his country. And when you think about that, we really hope that we will have that civility uh, again in politics because it's desperately needed. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content. More conversation coming up after this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning, I'm Dan Spieler. After a week of perspective and reflection in Washington, it's right back to a drumbeat of new developments making news in the Trump administration. The president ready potentially for another shakeup. Reportedly, Chief of Staff John Kelly could be on his way out, with the VP's Chief of Staff reportedly set to replace him. This says the president selects his new attorney general, William Barr, who served as AG under former President Bush. All of this happening amidst the ongoing Mueller probe. More developments this past week. Mueller recommending no jail time for Michael Flynn because of his cooperation with new heavily redacted documents revealed showing we could be in the midst of multiple criminal investigations that are apparently still ongoing. All of this as a potential government shutdown looms large over Washington a couple weeks from now. This week I sat down with Indiana Senator Todd Young. All right, let's talk about some issues in the news this week. The president nominating a new attorney general, William Barr. Do you support his choice, and will his nomination perhaps be more complicated by everything that's been happening with the Mueller probe? Well, I, I'm still reviewing his record, but uh, I fully imagine supporting him. I mean, this is someone who's already assumed in the position. That role. That's right. right, under pre former President George H.W. Bush, and he was... Uh, passed unanimously, uh, bipartisan support. There wasn't a single United States senator who opposed uh, his confirmation into that position. So um, despite the political uh, climate we have right now, I don't think that should change. We have seen a number of sentencing memos come out this week in the Mueller probe on some of the targets in that investigation. But obviously, a lot of what we've seen is, is heavily redacted, referring to some ongoing criminal investigations. What does that tell you about the state of this probe? Could it still be a, a ways from complete at this point? It might. Um, you know, my colleagues on the Intelligence Committee and the Judiciary Committee are following this on a day-to-day -day basis. I, of course, uh, am following uh, this to the extent I'm able to read uh, everything I can in an open source fashion and uh, consult with my colleagues who are on the committee. But bottom line, uh, I, I encourage the administration and all stakeholders to continue to cooperate uh, with Mueller in this investigation. I hope it does come to a close for the American people sometime soon. You have said that in the past that you want to see it wrap up soon. Have you seen anything in recent days, in recent weeks that gives you some pause and says, well, maybe we do need to spend more time on, on some of the things we're seeing here? Well, the investigation needs to be comprehensive and complete, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be delayed extended, extensively. We had some reports Friday that uh, Chief of Staff John Kelly uh, may be on his way out, and that he may also have been questioned in the Mueller probe regarding some, um, some questions about whether there was potential obstruction in the case. Is that, is that concerning at all? Well, of course, I, you know, General Kelly uh, is, is someone who served our nation honorably. Uh, I've always regarded him as a man of great character. Uh, so uh, I'd be very surprised if he were involved in any sort of illicit uh, activities. All right. So there's uh, talk about a bill to protect Mueller, border wall funding, kind of all on the line here. A lot of issues that could impact Congress's ability to keep the government running and open. Could we be headed toward a shutdown here at the, at the end of the year, as some have suggested? 
I sure hope not. I mean, I, I've uh, consistently advocated for a position of keeping the government open, as it were, making sure that uh, we fully fund uh, the various functions of government. Uh, border security, I'm not sure why this is controversial. Democrats and Republicans alike a number of years ago authorized border security. When I was in the Marine Corps, I was stationed for a period of time doing exercises on the southern border to make sure that uh, uh, we uh, kept it safe and secure. So uh, this is something we ought to be able to uh, resolve in these closing days before the end of the year on, on behalf of the American people. Uh, what about this ongoing trade dispute with China? Are, are you concerned about this getting resolved and, and, and what this could mean for the economy here in Indiana? I am. I, I credit this administration, the president more specifically, for elevating the issue of China's illicit uh, activities, ripping off our intellectual property, forcing our companies to uh, transfer technology into China. Uh, to government-owned firms before they can do business in China. There's all manner of different illicit activities that China's been involved in. Um, sometimes I do question uh, precisely what our strategy is, and I've been trying to get more clarity about that. So I think a written plan uh, regarding our trade strategy and some uh, of the rest of our economic strategy is appropriate. Uh, so I put forward legislation calling for that, not just from this administration, but from future administrations and receive bipartisan support for that legislation. I know that Hoosier farmers, manufacturers, and others agree with my stance on this position because I've been all around the state consulting with them. And uh, hopefully we can wrap this up soon so that the uncertainty in our economy gets alleviated. We've seen a bit of a wild ride on yeah. Wall Street this week. You've also been vocal about the situation in Saudi Arabia after the death of journalist Jamal, Jamal Khashoggi passing legislation. Uh, limiting our involvement uh, with the Saudis. Are, are you disappointed at all in the way the president and the White House has handled this situation? Well, it's a, it's a grave situation. This is, uh, according to the United Nations, the worst humanitarian crisis since the 40s. We have 14 million people on the verge of starvation. Uh, this humanitarian crisis really, um, you know, it, it should be put at the feet of Saudi Arabia and uh, uh, their crown prince. Uh, they've been indiscriminately bombing civilians. They've been engaged in a starvation blockade so that uh, medicine and food cannot be delivered to uh, these individuals. This is inconsistent with our values. So, uh, and it also is destabilizing in a country where Iran and Al-Qaeda have a significant presence. But has the White House been tough enough on, on Saudi Arabia? Some have been critical of their response. Well, what I've tried to do uh, from the beginning is uh, a number of steps uh, from legislation uh, to uh, using my convening power as a United States Senator uh, to give this administration as much leverage as it is absolutely possible to bring all parties, the Saudis uh, and, uh, and, and the Houthi movement, who they are fighting within Yemen, to the table so that there can be a peaceful resolution. That's the only way the civil war is going to end it through a negotiated political settlement. And the administration it is now their position that they also want a negotiated uh, political settlement. I know it's an issue you've been working uh, very closely on. Finally, reflecting back on this past week as the 41st president was laid to rest, I want to get your thoughts on some of the remembrances we've seen and the legacy that he left behind. You were there at the, at the National Cathedral this week for that service. Well, the speeches were beautiful, and, and I was touched. I was at the National Cathedral. And uh, when I think of George H.W. Bush, I think of my first commander-in-chief when I first rose, uh, you know, put up my hand and, and swore an oath of fidelity to the Constitution and the country. Um, he was president of the United States. He took us into the Gulf War. He convened uh, world powers at an important time to, to uh, deal with the instability in the Middle East. 
during a very difficult time in our history, after the wall had, had fallen, he was able to bring together world leaders and uh, create a measure of stability in Europe. So um, he, he, what, what I think is, is, is fantastic about President H.W. Uh, Bush is he mixed humility with resolve. Uh, that, for me, is the consummate leader. He, is, he personifies uh, what, uh, uh, what uh, our leaders, whether it's in government or business uh, or really any forum, uh, ought to be, how they ought to be comporting themselves. Senator Todd Young, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We, we certainly appreciate it. This week we also heard from two Indiana vice presidents sharing their thoughts on former President Bush. There was a kindness about the man that was evident to everyone who ever met him. All his years in public service were characterized by kindness, modesty, and patriotism. Vice President Pence speaking Monday night in the Capitol Rotunda. This week we also heard from another Hoosier VP, Dan Quayle, who served as George H.W. Bush's vice president. He always told me when we were working together, he says, look, he says, you gotta put this politics aside and just do what is right for the country. And he did what he thought was right for the country, even though at times it was to his political detriment. Former Vice President Dan Quayle in an interview this week with Fox News. And stick around because we'll have much more on the former president's life and legacy coming up. Also ahead, we sit down one-on-one -on -one with Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett, days after his announcement that he's running for re-election. Stick around, we'll be right back. A couple weeks ago, I had the chance to serve as moderator for a special discussion on Indiana politics put on by the Rotary Club of Indianapolis, along with former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner, and Republican strategist Jennifer Hollowell, who both join us here today, along with Democratic strategist Robin Winston and Tony Samuel, vice chair of the 2016 Indiana Trump campaign. Great to have you all with us today. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start with the news. Some gave the president credit for being fairly restrained during this week of remembrance than a lot of headlines on Friday. That tweet about Rex Tillerson and, of course, a new AG named in the midst of a lot of developments in the Russia probe. Uh, what do all these, these heavily redacted documents, what does the president's demeanor tell you about where we are in this process? Well, it's a real shame that we actually had to have a, a funeral for a former president to get him to lay off Twitter for 24 or 48 hours. But his demeanor is not good. He's still angry. He's firing off at Rex Tillerson, uh, his nominee for um, the UN ambassador, probably not the most qualified. And, and it, it, he can't she help it. She used himself. to work for Rex Tillerson. She sure did. Right. Tony, me? you may have a different take on <laughs> this. I do. I, I do. First of all, um, a, a, a great week of remembrance for uh, former President George H.W. Bush. Um, I think everything was done right and, um, and, and, and plenty of poignant moments. Um, uh, I think President Trump handled it very well, gave the, the Bushes everything that they needed and wanted everything to be handled perfectly, and it was. Um, I think this frustration that he's showing now with both Rex Tillerson and the Mueller probe, uh, it's, it's been going on forever. And it was, again, Rex Tillerson that attacked uh, the president and then the president the reacting the to it. Before, I, I mean, yeah. this is just the same thing over and over again. And then he gets criticized. I think he has every right to, to hit back at, at, uh, at Tillerson, especially when he's picking a new 
uh, UN ambassador uh, who used to work for, for Tillerson, and that I think has something to do with what we're seeing from Tillerson. Jennifer, your reaction on the week that was and all the fireworks we're, we're seeing now? Well, I'll certainly agree with, um, with Tony on all of that and, and the fact that we did have time to reflect on the Bush um, legacy and leadership and family, uh, which was, I think, touching for a lot of people. And with regard to the president, I mean, I don't think there's anything new in any of these, in any of these conversations, certainly not in the investigation. Um, all kind of remains to be seen. Nothing has been proven as it relates to the president and that organization. And so his frustration is shared by a lot of people, and, and you certainly understand it. One thing you can't say is that you don't know where the president stands on something. You know, he doesn't hide behind AIDS. He takes to Twitter and lets everyone know yeah. where he stands, which I think a lot of people do appreciate. And if we don't know where things stand, it's, it's probably because, as we said, a lot of those documents are redacted line after line, page after page. Where do you think we stand here? Well, first off, Sharpie made a lot of money um, because <laughs> so much was blacked out. Um, I agree with Jennifer in that the president, it took a funeral of a man who exuded civility and bipartisanship for him to act like a normal president should, and that's unfortunate. Um, the thing that I think we keep in mind is this Mueller probe is continuing, and people who had said before it was a witch hunt, they've done a pretty effective job of capturing the people that they have to capture. All right, Meantime reports Friday that President Trump could soon replace his chief of staff, John Kelly, with Vice President Pence's chief of staff, Nick Ayers. Uh, a lot of palace and tree here, and again this week, even more speculation about Pence's place on the ticket in 2020, something we've all said seems unlikely, but what do you guys think about this chief of staff situation and, and generally some of this speculation out there? Well, I don't think there's any chance that he replaces Pence on the ticket, and I'm guessing that the panel here probably shares that opinion. He's already asked him to the dance, he's, he's given him the offer, he's not going to rescind that. If I were Nick Harris, I probably wouldn't want that job. I mean, it may seem great, but the two guys who've had it so far hasn't been all that great for them. And what does this say about Trump and Pence with, with the president perhaps tapping the vice president's chief of staff to be his chief of staff? I, I think if that was the case, it would show just how close they are and what a great working relationship they have. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's what they've said all along when people bring up questions. The vice president's office has always responded with, we are in constant coordination uh, with the White House and with the president and that administration or in, in his staff specifically. I think Nick Ayers, I had an opportunity to work with him just a little bit, see his leadership um, on a governor's race a few years back. He has a, a very strong pedigree, especially as it relates to politics, but I think he's demonstrated uh, on the official side as well that he can rally a team. And as you're heading into a re-election, it's probably a great choice to have someone like that with that expertise. The president and, and chief of staff John Kelly seems to have butted heads at times, and as you mentioned, Nick Ayers certainly has more political experience. He does. Um, I wouldn't print too many business cards if I were him, because I don't know how your shelf life's going to be with this president. But it doesn't hurt to have somebody there that knows where Sheridan and Colfax is in the White House. All right, let's also talk about Indiana's current governor, Eric Holcomb, unveiling his agenda for 2019 this past week. Holcomb discussed his next-level agenda on Thursday, emphasizing the economy, school safety. He also spoke about the need for hate crime legislation in our states. If we want to send the message to the rest of the world uh, that we are open and wanting of their business, our policy is preferred. The governor also talked about infrastructure, ensuring skilled job growth, and modernizing our economic development tools. But it does seem, guys, like there could be some fights brewing 
uh, perhaps on this hate crime issue and also on the issue of teacher pay. The governor may be throwing some cold water on some of those proposals for pay increases. Looks like it's going to be a pretty interesting session at the State House. It does. And you know, the issue of the hate crimes legislation came up when we were speaking at the Rotary Club. We had a question from the audience about that. I'm heartened that he's including uh, sexual orientation and gender identity in his proposal. I just have my doubts about how far that's going to get with the Republicans in the State House. You also talked last week about teacher pay. That was something the Speaker had talked about. The governor maybe not as inclined to do that. The state superintendent uh, and the governor perhaps could be uh, on a collision course here for quite a debate at the State House. Yeah, and, re and remember also that we're at the starting point, so everybody's kind of taking their positions and right. there will be negotiating and trading uh, as we go down. It's four months is a long time. What are you keeping your eyes on this year at the State House? What, what could be the, the hot topic, you think? Obviously hate crime something a lot of people are talking about. Hate crime certainly is. Sports betting is something yeah. that a lot of people were interested in. I mean, I think what's significant is if you look at the governor's agenda, it is comprehensive. There are a lot of really meaningful things in his legislative proposals, whether it's a DCS to help children, whether it's on mental health, whether it's workforce and the economy and some things that will attract uh, tech companies and keep tech companies in India. There are all kinds of things. And I think what's telling is that Democrats really didn't have any criticism of it. The only criticism they may have had was, well, they want more. I'd say that's a pretty good start. Robin, your view from the other side of the aisle? We've always passed hate crimes legislation. We've been the proponents of it. I mean, you know, so it took a swastika on a, on a, at a synagogue up in Carmel to really make people realize that's an issue. I think it's important to realize that it's incumbent upon the Republican side of the aisle to pass it. We've always been advocates for it. As far as teacher pay goes, don't forget that economic development is tied to education. And so is a higher education. I mean, Ball State, Purdue, IU, all the schools that produce elementary and secondary school teachers rely upon there being a pool. At the end of the rainbow, they have to realize there's a job for them. All right. The governor this week also dealing with some controversy over the resignation of his Veterans Affairs director. Meantime, let's also talk about the latest news from City Hall here in Indy. No surprise, but this past week, Mayor Joe Hogshead announcing he is running for re-election in 2019. So you just announced your re-election bid. Um, was that a given for you or did you have to think about it some? Oh, I don't think you uh, ever should make a decision without a great deal of reflection and thoughtfulness. At the end of the day, uh, I have enjoyed serving the people of uh, Indianapolis for three years. Uh, I have another year to go on this term. Uh, the time came for a decision to be made about whether I would seek a, a second term. And in no small measure, it was driven by the fact that We've really come together as one city, Republicans and Democrats alike, to tackle the tough challenges of our city in a cooperative, collaborative way that I think is historically unprecedented. So if that is in fact the case, which it has been in these first three years, uh, that's the kind of leadership I'd like to continue to bring over the course of the next four if the, if the city of Indianapolis uh, wants me to continue to serve. Jennifer, I'll have you react to that, obviously, because you've worked on mayor campaigns here in Indianapolis in the past. Is the mayor beatable next year? Well, it's really difficult. I mean, let me point out a couple of things. Uh, Joe Donnelly won Marion County by 100,000 votes in this last election. Now, there's not going to be the same kind of turnout. The people who show up in municipal races are different. It's going to be a much smaller number, but I noticed that Mayor Hogsett pointed out that he's worked with Republicans and he gave Republicans on the council credit that they have worked together on a lot of things and they've supported a lot of his initiatives and his budget. And I, can t I expect to hear him say that on and on through the next year. 
And who might run this year? I mean, certainly we hear about Jim Merritt's name being thrown around there. Well, who might run against him, do you think? Well, we have four or five people who are out talking with uh, Republican leaders and, and business leaders about their interest right now. A couple of them, I think, bring some pretty interesting perspective and background, but it's too early to tell. All right. Up next, we continue to remember the life and legacy of former President George H.W. Bush. We'll have that right after the break. Another one of the very powerful moments from this past week as former senator and one-time presidential candidate Bob Dole was helped to his feet in the Capitol Rotunda to give one last salute to his friend, former president George H.W. Bush. One of just many indelible moments from this past week, but we've also seen a lot of remembrances here in Indiana. Governor Eric Holcomb shared these pictures, some special mementos that he received from the 41st president. Bush sent Holcomb a personal note after he was elected governor in 2016. The former president also sent Indiana's governor a signed baseball, something Holcomb says he will treasure forever. We also spoke this week with Lou Gehrig, who worked in the press office when Bush was Ronald Reagan's vice president, and with Pete Seat from the Indiana GOP, who worked for George W. Bush at the White House. What you saw is what you got, and uh, dedicated, uh, cared for others, uh, and he cared for his country. Every time he was there, he made the time to make the rounds around the West Wing to see some of the folks who served him when he was president, and then to see the new friends that he had made along the way while his son was president. Of course, as we mentioned earlier, George H.W. Bush also had a Hoosier as vice president, as you know, Dan Quayle, and also left behind this legacy here in Indianapolis. President Bush planted this elm tree in a park downtown in 1990. As you see, it still stands today. He dedicated that tree to Ryan White, the Kokomo teenager who became a central figure during the AIDS epidemic. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. Time for this week's winners and losers. Robin, you're first. Bush family legacy. Anybody in the losers would be anybody that doubted that Bob Mueller would be able to move forward. Jennifer. My winner is Governor Holcomb for introducing such a comprehensive and substantive policy agenda. Democrats couldn't even muster opposition to it. Tom? I'll say two winners, and I agree with both Robin and Jennifer. Uh, Governor Holcomb, I like the way he released it at the Traders Point Creamery and places like that. Uh, mixing it up with with regular folks, uh, and also the Bush family for their dedication to public service. I'm going to go That's local. Uh, IPS is a winner this week. Their interim uh, superintendent will be Alicia Johnson, and also my nearly 11-year-old daughter, who turns 11 tomorrow. Happy birthday, <laughs> right? All right. Hope we have a great weekend. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, hanging out behind the scenes now as we continue on our podcast. Uh, great to have Robin Winston, Jennifer Hollowell, Tony Samuel with us today. And uh, talking more about the, the funeral, the remembrances this week of President George H.W. Bush, what stood out to you as, as we went through this week of reflection in our country? Uh, what stood out was mostly a lot of great, uh, a lot of great speaking at, at, at the, both services um, by uh, George W. Bush. Uh, 43, um, by James Baker in Houston, um, by th their minister from the church. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of great stories. It was just very touching. Touched the hearts, I think, of the whole country. Uh, so that's what stood out the most. It was just all well done. Vice President Pence also gave some marks Monday night at the, uh, at the Capitol. It seemed like, in the midst of everything else in politics, the, 
the country was able to pause uh, to come to, together to remember a president who was who was known for his statesmanship. Right. I mean, just a, a kind and caring man, as everyone can attest to. Um, you know, and I appreciate it because, frankly, I feel like um, I, I feel like President Bush never really got his due. I feel like he never got the kind of respect from people that he should have, and, and maybe in part because he only served one right. term. But um, I thought it was really well done and, and good that people could learn things that maybe they didn't know before about him and at least have a greater appreciation. Yeah, and that's a great point, that, that he got more of the res respect and the, the um, accolades that maybe he didn't get before, part, partly also because he followed Ronald Reagan sure. and then also um, right. before the, the Clinton years. Robin, some of the moments that stood out to you. Bob Dole. Yeah, I mean, that was... This Sir. is a guy that on the convention floor said, tell him to quit lying about my record, <laughs> or my wife, yeah. and then turned around and stood there and saluted. Stood himself with, a, a, obviously, some help. Oh, um, yeah, with a age. lot of help, yeah. but could have easily said, it's cold, I don't need to right. go deal with this. They will understand, could have written a letter, could have issued a statement, but he made his way there to stand and, and to salute. Yeah. You know, this is a guy that was in the hospital with Daniel Inouye, another U.S. senator. They're both wounded. So it tells you that, you know, on, on two days ago, we had December 7th, which marked Pearl Harbor. George Bush, as a young naval officer, decided to give something back to his country. And when you think about that, we really hope that we will have that civility uh, again in politics because it's desperately needed. We, we saw it perhaps for a brief moment this week. Yeah, yeah I was just to say, it's a real testament to him to see the relationships that he built after hard-fought campaigns. And, right. you know, President Clinton, that story they became is great friends. remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. It just the kind of man that he is. Right. What else uh, from this week, Tony, do you think we can, we can take uh, moving forward in the United States of America in 2018 in, in, in a divided political climate? Yeah, I think the word civility uh, hits home the most because we are seeing so much divisiveness and really hatred uh, and, and it's been going on, it's been getting worse. This gave us a break and, and gave us, like everyone here is saying, a chance to remember uh, you know, things the way they should be. Unfortunately, well, we'll wait and see, but hopefully it won't resort back as quickly as, as after some other moments like the, the baseball shooting when Steve, Steve Scalise was injured and, and then you had people coming together, but it didn't last. Well, and it did seem Friday. We were kind of back to uh, politics see as what usual I mean? in Washington, <laughs> see I what suppose, I mean? right? I mean, there was a lot, a lot happening in the news uh, pretty quickly. Um, let, let's also talk locally. We mentioned briefly at the end of the television broadcast, IPS, a new superintendent, obviously. An interim superintendent will be taking over for Dr. Farabee who is now headed to Washington for a new job. What will this mean here in Indianapolis for the public school district, especially after uh, the referendum that just passed? What, what will this mean moving forward? Well, first off, the referendum gave overwhelming support to IPS. Right. I mean, 70-some percent, I think, voted yes on two different issues, 200 and some million dollars that will make a difference in the classroom and will make a difference in facility security and things like that. Um, a new superintendent, interim superintendent, a national search, but I also think it speaks well of Lewis Farabee because he got picked to go be chancellor of the D.C. schools because of the outstanding effort that people thought that he did here. Um, it was very interesting to see that all the divergent interests, teachers, administrators, everybody came together to support this new choice, a 7-0 vote of the board. That, is, that tells you we're on the right track.
And there have been a lot of stories about Dr. Farabee perhaps being a candidate for other jobs, and we, we knew this day would probably come. Right. I mean, honestly, I think from the day he got here, we knew he was going to be courted and probably not going to be here for, you know, 20 years um, because of his leadership, because of his background. And then once he was here, his ability to advocate for public education, traditional public schools, also work with public charters, charter schools and the innovation school launch, all those sorts of things, um, I think, is what made him appealing to D.C., but he's been, he's been courted, I think, a lot over the last few years, and it was just a matter of time before someone lured him away. Let's also talk about uh, the mayor's race here, here in Indianapolis. We, we heard earlier from uh, Mayor Joe Hogsett. Now that he's saying, yep, I'm in, it's official, how long do you think it will be before we hear from a Republican on the other side of the aisle who, who may want to jump into this race and, and run against him. Well, I was going to say, I know we have, we have four or five uh, Republicans who are out talking to people right now who are thinking about this. Jose One's Evans a, has talked Jose about Evans, it. Jose uh, Evans, yep. formerly Former on the council. city council and also formerly a Democrat. Um, a, a couple people who come in from a different perspective as neighborhood leaders, um, a business owner who has also given a lot back to the community that he lives in. Uh, State Senator Jim Merritt is being talked about. So there are a lot of folks who are who are looking at it. The deadline to file is in February. So I would There's expect time. in the next few weeks it will start to shake out. I think you have to be very careful here. Um, so you can't assume because you have overwhelming superiority in money and the office incumbency. We went through that, I think, in 2007. Bart Peters. Um, right. right. Who had a 15 to 1 edge over his opponent. So I would advise anyone advising the mayor to realize that you've got to go to 21st in Columbia. You've got to make sure that you're down in, in Perry Township. You've got to take your campaign out to the voters because GOTV, which we say get out the vote, right. does not mean just get on television. You've got to be able to take your message out. Which there. is also GOTV. If which you is right. That's, right. Right. That's why I always get them confused. But I put a premium on, on both. Right. You know, you've got to be on television and also knocking at the doors. Yeah, That's I, important. I agree completely with Robin on that. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, the, the press release that the Marion County Republicans put out said that uh, Mayor Hoxett was reluctant or reluctantly finally announced. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be a theme from the Marion County Republican Party, but that's exactly why you need to get out and show that you want the job, um, because you never know what's going to happen like in 2000. Do you think he's been reluctant in any way, Robin, in pursuing re-election? Uh, you know, this, this has been... I mean, a narrative that's built a, somewhat. Somewhat, I would say. I mean, because what I do know, and I know Joe very well, yeah. I mean, he wants to be procedural. You know, the jail is going to be built, but part of that's also going to be something to deal with mental health. But also, I mean, let's not play around here. You raised two and a half million dollars. So that's a clear sign to people that you're thinking about running. All that I can keep reminding folks that are advising him is you still got to get out on the ground and yeah. talk to those voters because there are a lot of people out here that have a lot of divergent interest in what's going on in this community. You worked on one of Greg Ballard's campaigns. What's right. the secret sauce here to, w to win in Marion County as a Republican? Well, it's a lot more challenging for a Republican just because we are outnumbered by right. Democrats. And so you have to be able to appeal to independents and you have to deliver a strong message. I mean, whoever we get on the Republican side, if they are at all timid or reluctant to uh, to go after again. this administration, <laughs> then they're going to have a tough time because you have to make a case for why voters make a change. And so a strong message is what you need 
to build that case in order to raise money. You know, we're going to start $4 million behind, and you can't win without money. The exception of Mayor Greg Ballard the first time around, but you know, the second time around it was a little more traditional. Um, so you have to be able to convince people that you can win. I'll be interested to see how the Republican nominee deals with Donald Trump. Hmm. Um, you know, Joe Donnelly won this county by about 100,000 votes. Where I also looked were in races at township level. So in a Washington township, for example, Frank Short last time gets 19,000 votes, but this time gets 48,000 votes. So there was a surge of turnout here. I could see this race getting a little more national in scope. And it'd be than a mayoral race typically would. Oh, yeah, than a mayoral race Usually local would. issues. Donald so, Trump, you're suggesting, is the I kind just of think national figure. I don't think there's any way that the, the way the guy takes oxygen about. out of the room, Dan, yeah. that there won't be some inferences about where that candidate stands vis-a-vis -vis Donald Trump. The NRA will be here next year as well in Indianapolis uh, in April as well. Uh, so national news, local news, perhaps continuing to collide. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. you being here. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah.